Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of James Buckley. Now get this, from attending Pellissippi State Community College back in 2010, James majored in communications, public speaking, and public relations. Now, if you've seen his content on LinkedIn, you'll know exactly why, people. When Cirrus Insight ended up saying yes to him back in April 2015, to join their team as a client engagement specialist. It seemed like the stars had aligned for the family man from Tennessee. But get this, over the next four years, James grew, not just as a human being, but as a seller, as a leader, leaving him with a really hard question to answer. Why do others find it so difficult to build their personal brand, become a high-impact connector, and use the art of storytelling in sales. And this question fueled him to make a change and make the switch of all switches. In December 2019, he joined the JB Sales Training Team as the Director of Sales Execution and Evolution and began his journey of doing something quite meta, people, being a salesperson who trains salespeople themselves on what's working, what's not, and... I suppose, really on the expensive mistakes to avoid. Now, today, James is a father, a husband, and the chief evangelist over at JB Sales Training, and is passionate about his fitness journey that he's publicly documenting to inspire others. And today, people, I've pinned him down a topic that I think is super important, man, because it's not being talked about enough, especially in a post-pandemic world, okay? I'm going to talk to him about how to become an influential communicator and connector and ultimately win at networking events. Dude, welcome to the show. What's good? Man, thank you for that intro. That was an incredible intro. All of those things are true, plus some other things that he left out, and I appreciate it. <laughs> what? what did I leave out? Come on now. What did I leave out? Yeah, oh, man. Like, there was a lot of stumbling in my journey. It wasn't like a straight line to get where I was at. I failed a lot, and I stumbled a lot, and I made a lot of really bad choices to learn all the things that I learned. So I don't want people hearing that intro and thinking I didn't struggle. It was definitely a long road. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I feel you. Actually, if I think back now, your journey looks so linear. Okay, let's do this now. <laughs> Tell me about one mess up then along the way of the journey, mm. which will put a dent in that story to make it that little bit more imperfect. Yeah. So I was the top performing SDR for a long time at Cirrus. And then I inherited the business development team. I took that business development manager side. Uh, and what I quickly realized was that the people hacking part is so hard. And I pissed off a lot of my reps early, trying to make change, trying to talk to them in certain ways that weren't very effective, weren't very positive. You get frustrated as a new leader because you want to see them succeed. But because you're frustrated, it's hard for you to communicate effectively. And that becomes the barrier that everybody puts up. And then it's suddenly you're not a colleague anymore. You're someone they look to as a leader and they hold you to that standard now. And then you let them down. So I let a lot of people down when I first started in leadership. Uh, and that was a big lear learning lesson for me. You can't always have the answers. Sometimes you have to say to people, this is something that takes time. Let's do it together. 
Because you don't have to have all the answers. That's a common misconception that a lot of leaders have. I had that misconception when I first started. So what did you do to solve that problem, bro? Did you have a coach? Did you have a mentor? Did you do some deep inner work? Like, How did you overcome that? So I think the turning point for me was a guy that was working with me. We were colleagues. And I guess he thought that it should have been him (laughs) that was chosen to lead the business development team. In our very first one-on-one, we went from sitting in the same room together and making cold calls together to this one-on-one setting where I was now his superior. And he gave me a book that said that the title of the book was Management for Beginners. And I was like, do you have any idea how insulting this gift is? Uh, and I probably wouldn't have said that. I think I learned in that moment. He ended up not working for my department. He moved departments, and then later he moved on to another opportunity. And the story is irrelevant, other than the fact that, like, what I learned in that was that I could have just said thank you for that and put the book aside and continued on with my meeting. But that's not how I handled it. I handled it in a more of an aggressive way because I felt like I was being talked at, talked to in a in a way that was inappropriate, not professional. Hey, respect me, right? But I hadn't earned that respect yet as a leader. And I thought that it was came with the territory. It doesn't. You have to earn it every step of the way. You know, what's really interesting as you said that, bro, it reminds me of a time when I had just started out in the world of sales and I didn't have my own portfolio of clients or anything like that just yet. But I'd seen a switch in senior management where somebody who was an individual contributor, who's always had that air about him that he was going to end up being a leader, suddenly became a leader. But now he became the leader to individuals who had been buddies with for years. And now he had to say, hey, what's up with your pipeline? And it was very interesting looking back to see the dynamics, which I didn't fully appreciate back then. So I appreciate you sharing that, brother. But let's take it back, okay? Let's take it back for a second because you've got an infectious personality. You're somebody who is very open with their vulnerabilities, struggles, as well as their successes, as we've already seen on this podcast. But tell me, man, when you were growing up, were you always destined for a career that involves speaking, storytelling, and sales? Or did your parents have different plans for you? You know, I don't think my parents had huge plans for me. I think the only plan they really had was that I was supposed to graduate from high school and go to college. And then I'd figure out what I want to do. I know that both my parents just wanted me to do better than they did. Like most parents, right? We just want our kids to have a better life than we had, right? And that's all we want in the end. We can't show them what to do and expect them to do it. That's usually going to lead us to disappointment with our children. What we can do is provide them an environment that enables them to get all of the steps in that they need to get in to get to success, however they might define that. And it's different for everybody. When I was a kid, though, I was quite troubled. I had ADHD. I was diagnosed very early. I spent most of my young life on Ritalin because I couldn't sit still. I couldn't pay attention. I didn't care what was happening around me. I was very distracted very easily. Uh, Ooh, shiny, right? Like, you like run, run away and find, chase whatever it is. You know, I had a lot of teachers that had issues with me because I was loud. My big personality has always been this way. Even as a kid, I was loud and disruptive in the classroom. Apologies to all the teachers out there if you're listening. Hey, I made it despite what you thought. My initial intro into adulthood contained mostly drugs and alcohol. That was my biggest challenge was cocaine and alcohol specifically. And when I realized this was a problem, it was already too late. By that time, I was working two jobs so that I could support my habit. I was attached to some pretty bad people down south in Miami, Florida, 
I was in with the wrong crowd, if you will, making really bad decisions for my marriage and my my children, you know, just just putting myself at risk in general was the MO. And if you'd have asked anyone, I say this often, if you'd have asked anyone 20 years ago where I am today, they would tell you dead or in prison. They would not tell you that I work with John and Morgan and the rest of the team at JB Sales and we help salespeople be successful. That's not what they would say. So my initial road was one of destruction. I was leaving a wake behind me of just train wreck <laughs> in my rear view. And then I moved. Uh, I had an incident at work. I was on a lot of cocaine and I almost died. And then when everything was, all the dust settled and I was out of the hospital, I said, I got to get out of here. And I moved to East Tennessee and I have been free from cocaine addiction for 17 years now as a result. And as a result of that, I went to college. I got a degree. I found what success looked like to me. I remember in college, I said, I just want a job where I can talk to people and help them win. I want to help them feel good about themselves. I have that job in sales. Sales is the vehicle for that job. And that's how I did it. That's what I did. That's what I wanted to do. And then I met John and Morgan and everything changed because I was like, oh, these people have the vibe. Like this is exactly what I want. So I worked for four years at Cirrus Insight. And that entire time I absorbed all that I could from these gentlemen. And I saw the team grow a little bit and I met the rest of them. And before I knew it, I was on their radar going to the same events and we all became friends. And then in 2019, I got that call from John and this is how he pitched me on the job. No shit. This is real. This is what he said. James, the way you make people feel is incredible. You want to do it with me? <laughs> I said, that's great. Where that's do I great, sign? Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool, brother. Yeah. And that's so funny because that, really boils down to what I would say your superpower is, mm. is the way your energy makes other people feel. Yeah. And it segues beautifully into why we're here today, because I actually never knew that story. And now it's hilarious because you landed the job that you're in now at a networking event. And we're here to talk about how sure to be a masterful communicator at networking events. So <laughs> tell me this, man, and you and I were talking about this in the green room, let's call it beforehand. Mm. And we were saying, a lot of people suck at networking, yeah. truly suck. But what's interesting is that there's this generation of salespeople, entrepreneurs, individuals, anybody really, who wasn't in the world of work pre-pandemic. Yeah. They've joined the world of work during a pandemic, and now they're having to attend networking events, and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, is, what do you think is the one reason why so many people suck at making friends at, and connecting with people when it yep. comes to new salespeople, new entrepreneurs, all that good stuff? So my opinion is that it's actually one of two reasons. The first reason, and probably the more prominent one, is that they're basing their networking event skills and success practices on things that used to be successful in the past. So prior to COVID-19, prior to the pandemic, prior to 2020 in general, what we saw was massive events happening and lots of fast transactional interactions taking place throughout an event. People coming to a booth, people shaking hands, meeting for quick drinks. You know, it's card exchanges. It's can I scan your badge? It's somewhat of a volume game. Today, the other reason is that they've not been exposed to the event space in the past. This is their first entree into networking events. And they don't have a base of reference for pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. So they're coming in with no expectation, almost no expectations, or their expectation is that everyone is going to high five me and love me. 
And then we're going to come away and close lots of business because that's the purpose of this event. No, (laughs) this is a false pretense and you're filling in gaps in your mind because you don't have any data to draw from in your past. So those are the two dominant reasons that I think people struggle with events today. Mm, That's interesting, man. And the truth is, is everybody is thinking about with them, meaning what's in it for me, (laughs) right? And the key way to build influence is helping people get really what they want. So let's get into it, man. So let's say James is attending a networking event tomorrow. Now I know, I know me, bro, if I'm going out to speak or if I'm attending an event as a participant, I need to feel good, right? I'm going to put on a fresh suit. I'm going to iron my shirt. I'm going to have a shower. I might meditate before I might listen to Kevin Hart. You know what I'm saying? But what should people do? And what do you do when it comes to preparing for a networking event before you hit the networking stage? So I'll give you two things. I'll give you the thing that I do, and I'll give you the thing that Morgan does, because I think I, I respect both of these processes. Something that I do is I get online and I make a quick list of people that I know are going to be at the event. These are people that have posted, people that have shared the event and said, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to being there. You can find, sometimes they have apps where they'll actually like give you a list of people that are going to be at the event. This way I can get familiar with their names, their companies, and I can make a target list of people that I have to meet. There's lots of people I'm going to meet, but I want to be very targeted with the people that I want to meet. Give you a great example. I had a very specific person in Austin last week that I was waiting for that I wanted to spend a lot of time with. The reason is because one, her and I had built a fantastic relationship. That's the most important reason. But the second reason was that I know her salespeople need us. Because we've talked about the things that her salespeople struggle with. She fits the peer person that we would do business with. So that's an easy decision for me. Look for this person, decide to spend quality time with them, and really get to spend that time so that they know that I'm in this for them. I'm in this for their team. I'm in this because I care about their success, right? We did it. We spent that time together. I probably spent off and on 10, 20, 30 minutes at a time with her throughout the evening. Because of that, we've connected since the, the event. We've texted back and forth a few times. The relationship is growing. It's strengthening. And we can't close deals without a strong relationship that has an element of trust baked into it. So that's what I do. I make my list. What Morgan does is a visuals tool, a visual exercise. He will literally pick out the things that he's going to wear to the event and lay it out on his bed or his floor and then visualize himself at the event, wearing these clothes, socializing. Kobe Bryant used to do this, right? With his uniform. So this visual exercise improves our confidence level. It improves our planning techniques. It improves the way that we plan on coming in and going to work, going to action right away. And Morgan's very good at this. That visual exercise helps him quite a bit. And for those of you listening to this right now, wondering who Morgan is, you need to go back to episode number, oof, I don't know, but it's early on, but there's an episode with Morgan right there. All right? Mr. Morgan J. Ingram, you need him in your life. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. You need to check it out. So, okay, this is cool, man. So it sounds as though what you're talking about is developing a routine which is full of intention because it shows that you go there with purpose, 
but then mix it in with what Morgan does, visualizing what success looks like to you and not just what it looks like, but what it feels like in really getting deep into visualization. I like that. I like that. So, okay, you've got the fresh suit on. You've got the 10 list of names. You've got some aftershave on or perfume. You're feeling good. You're feeling fresh. Now you're in the room. Right. right now you're in the room you suddenly you get that name tag and it says james buckley from jb tells training wow. you put it around your neck right you put it around your neck you walk into the room now what what's the first thing somebody should do yeah first thing out of the gate i'm looking for a group of people to approach and i know that sounds scary lots of people that hear that are going oh man that's not me i can tell you that breaking into a group feels much less awkward than approaching an individual that already probably feels secluded and outsider, right? This group will open up. It's a natural thing that we do as human beings. It's hard to fight. When someone approaches a group and you say, hey, guys, the second you say, hey, guys, with that tone, that host-like tone, the group will open up. You can physically see people turn in ways that open a hole. Just step into the hole. Hey, what are you guys doing here? How has it been so far? What have I missed? This level of conversation is surface. There's no tension. It's not pitchy. You're not passing out your card. What's up? I'm James. Here's what I do. I would love to connect. Follow me on LinkedIn, right? That's super self-serving. And people get that sleazy car salesman feeling in the group. But when you say, what have I missed? What are you guys talking about? That level of interest and that quick interaction. Oh, James, we're talking about this. What do you think? right? You can get that natural organic conversation flowing and work towards an introduction. Hey, what's your name again? Right? Mike, uh, what company are you with Mike? Right? Sarah, nice to meet you. Where'd you come in from? Right? These quick interactions in the group around the circle give you opportunities to meet and greet people. And that is the purpose of a networking event. It's not to sell. Stop trying to sell people at networking events. That's not going to happen. You're never going to walk into a networking event scream your value proposition and have 20 people run up to you and go, oh my God, I'm so glad you came here. Where do I sign? That's not the purpose of a networking event. (laughs) A lot of people are like, oh. Damn, Damn I thought that's what I was supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me this, okay? I think a lot of people struggle with, do I lead with being interesting or do I lead with being interested in the other person? Now you focus there on being interested in the other person. Just quickly, tell us a little bit about why you went down that route. Yeah. So my question is, why is being interested in others not interesting? It is interesting. Here's what I did. I made a statement and then I asked a question. Hey, what's up, guys? Glad you made it out to the event. Where'd you fly in from? It's interesting because of my tone and my energy. That's why I'm interesting. But I'm saying things to let them know I'm interested in talking about them, not me. So I think you can be interested in others. And that's interesting as opposed to being one or the other. So when you approach, there is a energy about you. There's an aura about you that is magnetic, if you will. And when you speak to people that you've never spoken to before, they don't want to hear all about you. That's boring for them. They don't know about it. They don't have the context. Now, it's different if you're like me and you have like a big following and people approach you, you know, oh, my God, James, let's talk. Like, that's awesome. I help a lot of people. They know that. But if you're a seller on the front line that doesn't have a strong personal brand, this doesn't come natural to you. So you have to work your way into these conversations by making statements and asking questions and following that pattern throughout the engagements. 
So this is another great example of this. If somebody said, oh, I just flew in from Michigan, I would say, oh, I've been to Michigan. I attended a couple of events out there, and then I visited a national park. Do you know which national park I'm talking about? It's in the north. It's right on the lake. Right? That's about them and where they're from. But I'm making a statement asking a question. Oh, it was beautiful, man. We had lots of good boat time out there. The lake was just amazing. Good breeze coming off. Do you spend a lot of time in the outdoors? Get real comfortable with it because this is the basic building blocks of getting people to do one thing. Drop the guard. We are guarded at networking events. We want to meet the right people. We don't want to waste our time. We are guarded, right? If you start talking about them and where they're from and things that are about their upbringing and their life and what they do for a living, suddenly you realize this person will tell me anything. I don't have to struggle for information anymore. <laughs> uh, that's not my daughter, Rav. That's my wife. He said, as I asked him a question about a picture I could see in his background during a Zoom call. And I'm thinking, man, I'm speaking to the COO of Insightly here about supporting his team with their storytelling. I've definitely blown the deal, period. But he laughed. I definitely squirmed a bit. And before I knew it, I was delivering a virtual workshop to his revenue team just a few weeks later. As they say, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. But here's the thing. I love hanging out and partnering with people and companies who believe in the power of connection and relationships. And that's exactly why I've teamed up with Insightly, who are the sponsors of today's episode. Now, check this. Every single sales team that I train and speak to know this, that if you want to build a real connection with your customers and create a unique buying experience, then you need a CRM which aligns your entire revenue org to one common goal. And hey, if you feel the same way, then Insightly might be the CRM solution for you, my friend. Head over to www.insightly.com forward slash influential to book a complimentary demo with their sales team today all right let's get back to the show (laughs) that's interesting brother that's interesting and tell me this i'm closing my eyes right now because i'm trying to think of how you sounded and how you made me feel when you entered that hypothetical scenario so i saw you smile i heard the intonation of your voice slightly rise Mm -hmm. and you to ensure that people knew that you were asking a question And you asked something which was, as you said, surface level to ensure it's not too deep. Like you didn't just go, Hey, uh, um, how you doing? Um, what's your sister's name? Like, whoa, (laughs) like, you know, uh, like just weird, weird stuff. No, no, nothing like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I've seen somebody do that at networking event, by the way. Anyway, I've seen some real winners at networking events. Let me (laughs) tell you. (laughs) I want to get to that. I want to hear some of those, but can you tell us a little bit about, why you focus on smiling, the body language is open. Can you talk us through some of the tactics behind using your voice with influence? Absolutely. Uh, So first of all, you guys have probably noticed that throughout this entire show, I have a tendency to shake my head yes when I speak. This is a sales tactic. You might not recognize it as a sales tactic, but it's hard to disagree with somebody that's always shaking their head yes as they speak. It's common for us. You're already shaking your head. Yes, Ravi. (laughs) It's common for people when you shake your head. Yes, very subtly to shake their head. Yes, as well. This is a good 
subconscious allowance of you into their circle, into their aura, if you will. I keep my distance though. I don't get too close to them. That's something that's changed over the last two years. There was a time where you could enter a circle of people at an event and come in and move your hand around the circle and shake everybody's hand. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Right? That was a thing. Fast forward to from 2020 to today, people are pretty space oriented. They don't like it when you're in their personal bubble. There's fist bumps, there's elbows, there's straight up like waves. Nope, don't touch, right? Sometimes events will have red lanyards, which mean like somebody doesn't want you to approach them. They don't want you too close to them or a green lanyard, which means, hey, I'm a hugger, right? (laughs) Like know those boundaries. You have to in the modern event space. Because it's not like every event before where you could go to a happy hour and rub elbows with 200 people and it would be safe. People are paranoid about what they're picking up from you. There's another body language piece of it. I move my hands a lot. I'm very animated when I speak. That's because I command attention when I talk to a group. I need that for me to be able to be effective to everybody I'm talking to, not just this one individual. We do this terrible thing where we find our ideal client And they might be in a group of people and then we want to single them out. We want to pull them away from their herd, if you will, and then corner them like we're hunting. And then we're going to chuck spears at them until they buy from us. (laughs) That's that's the mentality that we have. This is folly, right? This is a bad plan. If they're with their group and you become part of their group, you're one of them now. That's baked in trust. You almost need that group to approve your involvement in the group so that that one person sees you as one of the group because they only buy from people in their group. So you don't want to try to silo these individuals. Instead, what you want to do is make sure you're grabbing contact information and then building the relationship with all the people that they care about. This gives you the right to then take selfies with them, tag them on social media, at them when you see something that's relevant to their industry or their space. Hey, I thought you'd appreciate this. You can DM them and send them things. Hey, when we met at the show, you and your your peeps were talking about this. I read this and it made me think of our conversation, right? This is better than, hey, thanks for meeting me at the show. I'd love to sell you my shit, which is basically how most follow-up goes after people come to an event, get their badge scanned, right? It's the automated message. Thanks for coming to the booth. Sorry, we missed you at the booth. The reason we're reaching out is X, Y, and Z. I really want to get 15 minutes on your calendar. When can we connect? This is the typical follow-up that people get after an event. These are easily unsubscribed from. But if I met you, spent time with you, your group embraced me as one of theirs, and then I'm starting to tag you in places. I haven't sent the first email before you and I are on the phone like, what's up, man? How did it go for the event? Did you get a lot from it? Here, let me tell you my best takeaways. What do you got for me? Right? And you're like, part of their ethos, their the way that they function. That is so much more powerful than some rando email that you've blanketed to 200 people at that came to this networking event. And four of them are from the same company and you sent all four of them the same message. That's lousy. That's garbage. That's easily ignored. See, there's something interesting you've mentioned there, which I want to touch on a little bit later, but it's about connecting with people of influence and how proximity to these individuals can mean everything. Because from a social perspective, oh, James is hanging out with X. Oh, wow. Well, if he's got his or her approval, that must mean he's a dope guy. You know what I'm saying? So that's interesting, brother. But let's take it back. I'm just going to hold the break there for a second. I want to take it back because imagine now, okay, so... 
let's just take it even further back. Okay, you're freshened up for the day. You've got that suit on. You're in the room. You've got the badge. You walk into the group. You really have made a good first impression. Now you turn around to Sally. And James is talking to Sally and Sally goes, oh, James, you're at JB sales training. What do you guys do? Now you ask that question. Now, what do you say? Yeah. So we do get asked that question. It's a strange thing to get asked that question. And the reason I think it's strange is because our, the name of our company is JB sales training. So when people say, what do you do? It's very difficult for me not to say, well, as you might imagine, we are sales trainers. (laughs) Hence the name JB sales training, right? But then the flip side of that coin is how do you articulate what you do in a quick, effective manner and then move on from that topic? Because that might be a question you get asked. It doesn't mean they want the pitch. That's the part people struggle with. So this is my answer. When people say, what do you do? I say, we help salespeople are, become more human in their process. We deliver it lots of different ways. We deliver it in person. We deliver it online. We deliver it in Zoom. Well, however you want it delivered, that's how we do it. It's small. It's easy. It's easy to understand. I then don't let it hang there. I pivot to a question. What about you? They tell me a little bit about what they do. Well, how long have you been doing that? And my discovery begins. It's difficult for them to not go back and forth with me from that point. Yes, it started off with them asking me what I do, but I'm going to use that as a catalyst to begin a discovery process that's going to be difficult for them to avoid. Interesting. This is cool. This is good. I like this. I like where this is going. Okay. So hit hit me with this. So let's say you're a person at a company called Ideologica PX, right? It's mouthful. It's like, oh, what do they even do? Have you got a mini framework that this person can use to introduce themselves? So for example, what you ultimately spoke about is we help insert ideal client. And then you spoke about the transformation there, and then you pivoted to a question. So could you formalize that framework for the audience here? Yeah. So if I worked for a company called Ideological PX, I got that right. I might say <laughs> something like, I work for a company called Ideological PX. I know it's a bit of a mouthful. We're working on it. What we do is X, Y, and Z. What about you? And I would leave it there. You don't want to harp on it. It's fast. I don't know what Ideological PX would do, but I would, Nor do fill, I. I would fill that gap in quickly with one or two things at most, and then pivot to what about you? If they have the name on their shirt, that's a good transition. Cause you could say, I see you're with Nielsen. What do you do at Nielsen? Right? Oh, I'm the sales development manager. Oh, that's fantastic. I've been in sales development most of my life. What's your favorite part about sales development? What's the thing that attracts you the most to it? You see how easily this becomes about them and not about me and ideological PX because they don't really care. They're asking because it's proper for them to ask. It's almost a custom for them to ask. And you know that the real value for a seller is how they take those questions that they expect to be asked from strangers and parlay them into conversations about that person, the prospect. Interesting, man. I like it. And I I think what's very interesting about your approach there is the open-ended questions that you asked actually there about, tell me one thing that you're really excited about inside of this role or one thing you really enjoy about it versus how are you? Great. Are you enjoying this event? Yes. Like it's, it's just very close ended. Tell me this brother. So on LinkedIn, we could probably log on now. And if we search for the word value or even adding value, we'd probably get slapped with a thousand posts per minute. Now, a lot of people will say, 
add value at networking events. And if you're listening to this, you probably don't know what that means because I don't think many people do. So to you, James, when people say add value to the people you're speaking to, how can you do that with somebody that you've only met two minutes ago? First of all, this is such a good topic. And here's what happens. We equate the word value with our products, with our services, with the things that we sell. That is not what value means in the format of a networking event. What value means is connection, real connection that someone else feels from you. That's what value means at a networking event, because that's what's going to keep them attached to you after the fact. Not the product, not the service. So when they say add value, it doesn't mean be ready to pitch. Be ready to pitch everybody because you're going to pitch a lot of people. That's not what they mean. What they mean is give a shit about the people that you're about to meet. That's what they mean. That's what add value means. Where the value for your product and service lies is in the follow-up after an event. It is not in the event itself. If you come in hot with an event and you immediately start talking about how you sell and what you sell and the things that they can get if they buy from you, you just became the sleazy car salesman that everybody runs away from because everybody likes to buy stuff. Nobody likes to be sold stuff. That's true 100% of the time. I don't care who you are or where you live. That is true. <laughs> it's funny, dude, because as well, what I found is when people think about adding value, yes, they think about their product. But sometimes when you figure out what that person wants, it could be, oh, man, we're trying to, we're on the waiting list for our child's school. And you're like, hold on, I know the headmaster or the dean or whatever. And then you've added value in a way which has nothing to do with work and has built a better connection than so what is your million dollar problem right now when it comes to being a sales leader? You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, it's just not going to do it. It's not going to do that it, man. Okay, so you a, that question is a T-ball question. That's what I call it. I call it a T-ball question. You basically put the ball on the T. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for that pitch so they can swing away. <laughs> yeah, bro. Exactly, man. Nobody likes to be pitch slapped, people. Nobody likes to be it's pitch slapped. My favorite slapped. term in Tell sales. Me what pitch pitch, pitch slap, or slap yeah pitch slap, yeah yeah it's funny isn't it it's funny it's, it's true man it's true it's true yeah. but dude 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 so you you actually mentioned this a little bit earlier but i'll give an example if i met kevin hart tomorrow i'll probably freak out to the point where i'd act i'll go into fanboy mode right so the question is is if a salesperson is meeting a prospect a decision maker they've been trying to get a hold of for one year and they're mm. in that we're in that room. They could turn into Rav meeting Kevin Hart for the first time and go into fanboy mode or fangirl mode. So you touched upon this earlier, but you have 60 seconds with that decision maker. You've been trying to get it all evening. Somehow the both of you ended up with a drink in your hands, having a chat. You've got 60 seconds before they head out for the evening. Yeah. What do you say? How do you say it? How do you follow up? Give me the goods. So if I have been waiting forever to get this person and now I have 60 seconds with them in person and they have a drink in their hand, my first question is, what are you drinking? That's my first question. Because when I see it get low, I'm probably going to wave that bartender over to grab another one for them, <laughs> right? hoping that they will stick around and finish that second one with me. That might buy me more time. Ah, okay. So, okay. So, so that's my first move. My second move is to say, where are you headed? Right. Because I want to talk about their going so that they start talking back to me. They have to talk back to me if we're going to have a conversation. 
my transition statement might be before you go, you may know this, but I've been reaching out to you for a hot minute. And now that I finally got you here, I'm excited to meet up. I know you got to go. So here's what my proposal is. You've got your phone on you, right? Everyone does. Take it out. Let's look at your calendar. I'm looking for 30 minutes to get to know each other better. No rush, no pressure, no strain. I'm not going to pitch slap you. And I'll get a giggle out of that almost every time, right? And then they're going to do it. And if they say, no, thanks, that's fine. Because I know that I'm going to reach out again and say, it was great running into you. I'm still hoping that we can put that on the calendar. And then my sign off is, and I've been having a lot of success with this sign off, I'll follow up. When you say I'll follow up in your sign off, especially after meeting somebody in person and they get that personality from you, the relentlessness is kind of what they, what they pick up on. Like, dude, this guy is not going anywhere. If I don't reply, I'm going to get more messages. If I don't call him back, he's going to call me back consistently. That's a good thing. You want that, right? There's a difference in no and never talk to me again. Those two things do not mean the same thing. But sellers equate no with take me off your list, unsubscribe, I'll never speak to you. You can take anybody in your pipeline that said, screw off, I'm never going to buy from you, stop calling me. And you can write that account off if you like. But three months later, if you go look at that same person that said, screw off, I'm never going to buy from you, stop calling me. The chances are like 60, 70%. They don't even work there anymore. And that account might be brand new all over again. So don't take your no and think, well, there goes that account. Churn is way too high in our space for us to have this mentality. Keep an eye on that person. Set your sales navigator alert so that when they change jobs, you get that notification. Bam, that account just got reactivated. There's, I call this a Lazarus lead. <laughs> so uh, what I'm curious about, man, is, is do you ever find that approach works better with certain types of individuals? For example, if you're at an event in the UK, would you tailor that approach? What would you do differently? Like if you were in the UK, I'm curious because we have a, we're so different in the way that we look at things, man. If I was uh, in the UK, I would use the selfie technique more than I would use the, do you have your calendar technique? The, do you have your calendar technique works a lot. I get a lot of people. Yeah, sure. And they pull their calendar out and I pull mine out and then we sync up. And I send a quick invite and boom, it's on the calendar right there from the event. The selfie technique is a little more follow-up related because here's the selfie technique. Anytime you meet somebody, anytime you have that networking event where lots of people are in and out from you, you can, everybody you meet, you can say, hey, will you take a selfie with me? Most people are fine with it. They say, yeah, sure. So you take the selfie, bam. And then you go, what's your cell? I'll send it to you. Now you have their contact information in your phone. You then text them the selfie. Great to meet you. You have every right in the world to use that number again and again. And now you're on a text relationship with this individual. You set their profile picture in your contact list to that picture you took. This way, when they call you, you go, hi, Stephanie. Great to hear from you. And they're like, oh, shit. He remembers me. You become somebody that remembers them, that knows them, that understands them, that met them once. This is not the cold seller. Imagine this. Every seller cold calls, hopefully. If you're not a cold caller, wake up and realize that these things will make you money if you dial people's phone numbers. When they cold call, they leave a lot of messages. Then they never do anything else. They just keep calling, keep leaving messages. And then that person finally decides, I'm going to call the seller back. 
and some random unsaved number calls you and you're like, hello. And they're like, hi, uh, I missed a call from this number. Someone left me a message. And you're like, yeah. Uh, and you're scrambling to try to look up the number in your CRM so you can figure out who's called you back. Don't do this. If you leave a voice message for somebody and you know it's their direct number, save it in your phone. Because this way, when they do decide to call you back, you can answer the phone and go, George, great to hear back from you. And they're like, wow, this guy has it together. And they feel more comfortable doing business with you. You know, I originally heard, which is not the truth. I thought you said, take a picture of hanging with Ravi at the event and send it to your like WhatsApp picture. And I was like, that's weird. What you could set it uh, to, to as your picture, but that would be weird. That would be like <laughs> that would be creepy, like creepy a hundred x or like something like that. Okay, yeah, you know, like make it yeah. Like, but if it's just like a regular sales dude, you might come off a little bit. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it can't be like Karen, the VP of Sales at Ideologic of yeah. PX. That would just be so crazy. But dude, tell me this, okay? Before we wrap up here. What is the worst one-liner that you've heard somebody else say, or maybe that you've said and that you now regret at a networking event? Yeah, what are you doing here is the worst line I've heard. What are you doing here? It's almost aggressive. What are you doing here? It's a networking event. Like I'm networking. I'm, I'm a human being. Like what, what do you mean, what am I? I'm doing the same thing you're doing here. I'm meeting strangers. Mm. What are you doing here is the weirdest question you can ask. There's other strategies, though, that people should avoid. Close talking. You've probably seen the Seinfeld episode where the close talker, nah. uh, the, dude, don't get so close to people when you talk to them. They don't like to smell your breath when they talk to you. That's a strange feeling for everybody. There's another one, too. I'll say this because it, it bears needing to be said. You're going to a networking event for business purposes. Getting shit-faced after the party is not a good move for you. It forces you to look less professional than you would <laughs> if you were just of sound mind. Have a drink. It's happy hour, right? Clink with a couple of your people and say some toasts. Cheers. It's great. But you're not there to get drunk. You're there to meet business contacts. So people out there, realize that this is a business opportunity, every networking event that you go to, not a party. Yes, there is a social aspect to it. But no, the function is not there for you to get shit-faced. <laughs> yeah, it's not your bachelor party people or Hindu, you know. I like the advice. And Younger sellers. Younger sellers, I think they get so excited. They get so confident. And then they come in and it's like, it's crazy. You see them at the bar every 10 seconds. They're just slamming drinks. These are the same young sellers that, that make terrible decisions, <laughs> get fired a couple of days later for like hitting on the boss's wife at the networking event. You're like, no, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my, let's move on straight away. Let's move on from that. But ladies and gents, that is James Buckley. Dude, thank you for coming on the show, man. Let me ask you this as a final question as you bow out gracefully. As you know, the show is called The Influential Communicator. So my question to you, man, is is who do you look up to as somebody who communicates with influence? I look up to Ronnell Richards quite a bit. Uh, Ronnell Richards of Business and Bourbon has been a friend, a mentor, someone I've always gone to for advice. I look up to Roderick Jefferson, Nikki Ivey. I look up to Nikki Ivey. I think she's great. Beck Holland. I look up to Beck Holland quite a bit. I think she's, of all the people that have, like went on their own through 2020, I think she's a stayer. She's going to be on her own for the rest of her life. Very impressed with what she's built. I look up to Scott Lease, Amy Volus. I definitely look up to Morgan J. Ingram, Leslie Douglas, Shelly Gupta Correa, Meg Holsinger. Meg Holsinger makes people feel uncomfortable in the best way. It's really weird. 
And John Barrows, of course. I've been a follower of John for a long time, and it was many, many lessons learned from him and his sessions and the things that I picked up getting familiar with the JB sales team that led me here today. So those are the people that I look up to. I could probably, oh, Larry Levine. I could probably throw 10,000 more names out there of people that I look up to. It's not a one-man act, guys. It takes a, it takes a team. I like the diversity there. I like the different names that you mentioned there. And a lot of people I resonate with too there, brother. But tell me this, man, where can people learn more about you, what you're up to and follow your journey? So you can connect with me at Say What Sales, all one word. I've been spending most of my time on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. I am rapidly approaching my LinkedIn limit. So you'll forgive me for that. I don't know why that's a thing, but it's a thing. So don't uh, be upset if I don't connect with you on LinkedIn. It's because I, I'm hitting that. I'm getting close to that ceiling. Uh, but you can always learn more about how to join us at joinjbsales.com and check out our YouTube channel, Sell Better. That's brand new. Nice. All right. Well, ladies and gents, if you did enjoy today, what I'm going to do is put that link down in the show notes. Check it out. Go hang out with James over on TikTok or Instagram or any other social platform. I'll see you next week at the same time in the same place, but with a different guest, maybe even hanging with me for a solo episode. Who knows? I'll see you on the other side. Peace. Thanks, brother. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. Thank you.